The following program is recorded content created by the Truth Network. There is one red wave I'm looking for, and it's not a political one. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, biblical scholar and cultural commentator, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity. Call 866-34-TRUTH to get on The Line of Fire. And now, here's your host, Dr. Michael Brown. I am not discouraged. I am not downcast. I am not depressed. I am not hopeless. I'm not banging my head on the wall. To the contrary, I'm full of hope, vision, and faith because Jesus is building his church and the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And that is gospel truth, regardless of who is in the White House, regardless of who controls Congress, Senate, House. That is gospel truth. And that's where my eyes are focused. The red wave I'm looking for is the red wave of the blood of Jesus washing America. Michael Brown, welcome to the line of fire. We're going to get into the elections in depth. We're going to talk about what happened. We're going to give our perspective as best as we can. But I'd love to hear from you. How do you feel? Are are you grieved, disappointed, frustrated? Are you gratified? Are you positive? Why do you think the Republicans did really badly compared to what was expected? It looks like the GOP will still control the House, which means that President Biden's agenda that many of us differ with will have a harder time moving forward. The things that we differ with will have a harder time moving forward. So to many, that's positive. But that's not the red wave I'm looking for. The question is, why do things go so poorly? 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Before I give you some words of encouragement and hope and faith and challenge, I just want to throw a few things out. Normally in the midterms, there is a shift against the presidential party. That just happens commonly. And for example, during the Obama presidency, there were massive Republican gains. I mean, large numbers, dozens and dozens and dozens of flip seats in, in the House and many in the Senate and, and just massive shift. And this is what normally happens at this time. Well, we have a situation where the economy is much worse than it was a few years ago, where voters say they are very upset with the direction of the country economically. Overall, they don't feel good about the direction of the country Overall, they're not happy with the performance of President Biden. With that backlash or that backdrop and this being the midterms, you would expect to see some type of dramatic shift. And many were saying it's going to happen. The red wave, the red wave. Well, it didn't happen. What are the reasons for this? Again, I just want to talk in a natural perspective here and what we're learning from exit polls and what seems obvious. And then I want to get to the gospel And I want to get to the red wave that I want to talk about and focus on. I'm a registered independent, but I vote Republican. I've not voted for Democrat in memory. I don't remember if I voted for Jimmy Carter when he ran. My dad was a lifelong Democrat, actively involved in the Democratic Party. Now I get saved. I didn't have really political thoughts. I was not active in politics as my dad was. But Jimmy Carter, born again Christian, right? I'm born again. He's born again. And yes, you know, so I don't remember voting back then. I don't remember if I voted for him, but I certainly would have. In other words, if I voted, I certainly would have voted for him. Our church never talked about get out and vote or anything like that. 
But I, I remember when he appointed Secretary of State Cyrus Vance, and they said a good appointment, like, yes, he's God's with him and all this. Obviously, he historians will recognize he was a very weak president, sad to say. Uh, I can't remember voting for a Democrat though in my lifetime. It's not to slam those of you that find reasons to vote for certain Democrat candidates. Uh, it, it is it is not to say that the Republicans are perfect or I put my trust in the Republican Party. But it's to say because of the things that are really important to me, and as I prioritize them in God's sight, it starts with the shedding of innocent blood is the, the highest priority. Therefore, I'm going to vote pro-life. And I could not possibly justify voting for a candidate who is pro-abortion. If I didn't have a choice, it's pro-abortion candidate and some other candidate that's, you know, dangerous in other ways, I would sit out that part of the election and vote for others. So I just want you to know my sentiments. My absentee ballot was for all Republican candidates in the state of North Carolina. So that's how I voted. And I wanted to see a shift in the Senate, in the House, because there are agendas that President Biden has that I believe are dangerous to America, that are bad for the country, that are against the best interests of the kingdom of God, by which I do not mean we're taking over, but I mean that will hurt our religious liberties, that will hurt families, that will hurt young people, and on and on, and that will not bring the blessing of God. So if there could be something to stop that, that's positive to me. As I've said, voting is like putting a wedge in the door so the church can go and do its work. But as I watched things unfold last night, I also knew that there were many saying the wave may not be as bad as expected. You know, from the Democrat side, it may not be as dramatic. So I didn't know. And God has never told me in advance what's going to happen in an election. There are other things he's spoken to me and showed me in advance, but never with elections. Anything I think I'm hearing is just what my own brain wants to hear. Okay, that's why I've never given an election prophecy and, you know, gotten on the radio and said, this is what's going to happen, etc. And in my own view, the main thing that prophets would be doing as God is speaking through prophets today is not telling us who's going to win an election, but telling us how to get our own house in order. As I understand it, that's what prophetic ministry would be doing, not telling us this team is going to go to the Super Bowl and this team's going to win. Right. Let's say it was a prophet that was that was on a team. Right. And, and, you know, they're part of the sports world. I'm just mixing these analogies here. Right. I don't think that they'd be prophesying who's going to win the Super Bowl. They'd be telling your team you're messing up here. You're messing up there. You got to fix this if you want to win games. Right. But anyway, I, I was like everybody else watching, looking, wondering. And one of the concerns was this, that this election was now for many a referendum on 2020 and was the election stolen or not? One thing. Another thing was, in many ways, it was still about Donald Trump. So one of my colleagues, strong conservative like me, Republican voter like me, kingdom minded like me, he said to me, Mike, we're having problems. He mentioned his particular state. He said, we've got a bad candidate because that's the one that Trump wanted in kind of personal issues with the other. He wanted this one in. And, and back that candidate and that helped push them over in the primaries. He said, now we've got a weak candidate that's probably going to lose in the elections, which is exactly what happened. Uh, in Pennsylvania, for example, when Trump endorsed Mehmet Oz, without that endorsement, he would not have beaten his, his uh, Republican uh, con- uh, primary contestant. That would not have happened. But, but Oz was not known as a long-term conservative and so on. So many thought he was the second best candidate. And you see how close the race ended up being. So you, you have things like that. And, and I believe that's one of the factors. 
I believe, another factor in the natural, just looking at this from a non-spiritual perspective, just trying to see what happened. I believe another issue is this, that the January 6th storming of the Capitol looms large in the minds of many Americans. And it was a horrific, shocking thing that happened. And while there may have been outside agitation from other groups where there may have been people like that, without question, I know it for a fact, there were people who went there, Christians who went there, leaders who went there, who were poised. They wanted to see something happen. They, they were ready to storm the Capitol. I, I just got a, a text from a colleague of mine saying he was shocked to hear that someone he had known for years, not closely, but, but had participated in meetings and things like that, been part of an audience when he would talk with leaders, that this person tells him in advance, January 4th year, we're going up to the Capitol, we're going to be armed. Yeah, yeah it was a tiny, tiny, tiny group that actually had that mindset. But I have no question that President Trump had said that day, this is it. The, the government's been taken from us. The nation's been taken from us. Storm the Capitol. That tens of thousands, tens of thousands would have done it. I don't question that for a moment. Even though everyone I know was there, was there to pray, and was utterly shocked and mortified by what happened. There was a very bad spirit. It was handled the very wrong way. Okay, we don't need to rehash that. All that to say, in the minds of many Americans, that is Donald Trump, and that is those of us who voted for Donald Trump and those of us who hold to some of these conservative values. And as bad as the economy is, and as bad as as President Biden's leadership is in their view, and as much as they're upset with the direction of the country, they don't like the alternative. In other words, that's what they see as the alternative. That's the issue here. So... Uh, the other challenge is that you've got some races very, very close, razor close, right? That shifts this way or this way, and it's control of the Senate, control of the House. So what happened with the overturning of Roe v. Wade is, is that it energized the pro-abortion side to spread a false picture across America, which is that if these guys get in, abortion will be banned across America. Whereas it's a matter of each state with Roe v. Wade being overturned as it should have been. It was bad law. Aside from being sinful in God's sight, it was bad law from the start. So it should have been overturned. It was right that the courts overturned it. It was a major victory. It was a statement in God's sight. But it now energized the the pro-abortion side to to tell every woman in America, if you don't vote, abortion is going to be banned across America. Whereas that was never the issue with Roe v. Wade. The issue was it now goes back to the states and states can vote. And and the pro-life side is active as they've been for decades and as, as sacrificial as they've worked, uh, sacrificial as they've worked, as much good as they've done. There's still the aspect of to now energize after Roe v. Wade and combat all that negative PR is very, very hard to do. And some have said strategically what the court should have done was just let Dobbs stand. And then little by little by little, the case of Missouri, just let that stand and then grow, grow, grow as Roe v. Wade would be overturned. So it would happen more in waves. But even if it, that had happened, the hysteria would have been out. The, the word would have been out. This is it. You're never going to be able to have an abortion, etc. So these are some of the factors that came together. But. I am not here to focus on Donald Trump. I pray for God's best for his life, and I appreciate the good that he did. But there's a good and a bad, right? 
that with, with every one of us as human beings, we have strengths and weaknesses. And the goal is that we recognize our weaknesses and try to build ourselves up there. You know, there's a saying with, with churches, I'm sure it's the same with businesses, staff your weaknesses, right? If I'm not an administrator, I'm not a finance guy, I don't waste money, I don't, I don't abuse money, there's never been a scandal with us with money, but I'm not a good finance guy. I'll like give when, when we don't have the opportunity, you know, uh, okay, let's expand, let's do this, let's pay, or right, someone needs a raise, let's do it. I'm not good with that, so I don't handle finances in our ministry. I, don't, I, I get a report every week, I see what's happening, we pray together, but I don't handle that. I don't run things. I don't hire and fire because I don't do that well, so others do it so I can do what I do well. Problem is, what if our weaknesses, well, what if they overbalance our strengths? Then instead of gain, we have loss. I'll explain. We'll be right back. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on the Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Here's where you get to weigh in. 866 866- Three four eight seven eight eight four. What's your take? Why did the elections go the way they went? What does that say about America? What does that say about the state of the church? Eight six six three four eight seven eight eight four. Hey, take a moment. If you have your cell phone handy, if you're not driving, if you can do this, grab your cell phone, take it out, and download our app. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. A S K D R Brown Ministries on Apple. Or Android. Make sure you put ministries in when you download it. Ask Dr. Brown Ministries. If you're driving in your car and, and we're not on a radio station in your city, just click, click on the phone and boom, touch the button there. If we're live, you can listen live. If you missed it, just catch the last show right there. I just wrote an article this morning. I got up early. Normally I'm a real late light person. So I'll write something at two, three in the morning, go to sleep. This morning I got up, I don't know, six, seven, something like that. Just couldn't go back to sleep. Wrote an article, posted already this morning. You just read it right there on your app. So all the info is there for you. Download it. You'll be blessed by it. And share it with your friends, would you? Uh, we'd love to get this out to hundreds of thousands of people, and it's free, and it's our way of, of being a resource for you. When I'm introduced, friends, every day as your voice for moral sanity and spiritual clarity, I take that very seriously. And the article that I wrote that I'm about to share with you Something I wrote in, in that very spirit. Let me be a voice. Let me bring you encouragement and truth in the midst of what for many, especially conservative Republicans, was a, a very disappointing time. So I want to go back to this last point, and then I'm going to share this article with you that's going to bless you and encourage you and strengthen you. I, I really believe that. It is my goal to infuse you with faith and truth and courage because you're on the front lines. We want to help you stand strong. We want to hold your hands up as per Exodus 17 so that you can see God's victory and strength and grace in your own life. The pressures of life and family and business and being in this world, it's challenging. No, we're not under persecution like other parts of the world are, but we have our own challenges living as believers in America. So I want to help equip and strengthen you. But just one last thing, getting back to the elections. I've talked about this before. But it's so important to be thinking several moves down the the road, thinking of chess, right? Several moves ahead. So when I played chess more as a kid, I could think a few moves ahead as far as 
I could, this could lead to this, could lead to this, but it was a very limited vision, and I didn't understand the whole nature of the game and the history of the game and memorizing famous openings and things like this and so on. It was very limited. So if I played someone that was good, I thought I'm doing really well. Next thing, checkmate. It's like, how'd you do that? Well, they, they saw how this thing plays out. I remember when Bobby Fischer played Boris Spassky, when chess became suddenly super popular in America through Bobby Fischer. And we would watch, it was Channel 13 in New York, PBS, Public Broadcasting System. And there was a big chessboard. What was the, the fellow's name that did it? Was it Shelby Lyman, something like that? And curly-haired guy, chess player himself. And they'd have a, a big board, uh, and, and they had like these little pockets where the, the pieces would go. And they'd get, ring, there's the phone, and you know, the, the telegraph, whatever. And, and okay, we just got the move. Bobby Fischer opens pawn to C4. Like, and then they'll discuss it. Like, wow, why did he, amazing. Can you, wow, what's he thinking? And then Spassky responds with this. So you'd wait for, you know, hours. And I remember one time there's a move and they can't, they can't figure out why did Fisher do this? Well, there's, it's, it's a bad move. And then they've got all these grandmasters playing it, you know, many, many people. And it's like, we figured it out, we figured it out. 15 moves down, if he did that, he's going to get a piece. But that's the chess mind, that's chess genius. Well, well, God is eternity ahead, right? God is eternity ahead. Many things we go through now, oh, man, it's terrible. It's the worst thing that ever happened to me. But God's shaping us for something better. There's good that can come out of it. You know, as parents, you say no to your kid. Your kid's all upset with it. And why are you being mean to me? Oh, no, no, you know what's best for that kid long term. So often we think in the immediate, right? We elect a particular candidate, whoever that candidate is, for the immediate good that they will do, that we think that they will do, without seeing the long-term repercussions. And it's not easy to do. I mean, we've taken down, I mentioned this the other day, we, we take down Saddam Hussein in Iraq, and it seemed like a righteous thing to do. He's the butcher of Baghdad, and, and, and he was going to harbor Taliban terrorists, and these are the very people that... that or Al-Qaeda terrorists, these are the very people involved with, with murdering our people in, in Twin Towers and, and Pentagon and 9-11. It's, it seemed like a right thing to do. But there did not seem to be sufficient foresight to say when you take out this, this evil guy, but a guy who is a stabilizing force in the country, and now opens up all these other forces of chaos, hence you have ISIS, so it's brought about terrible suffering for the Christians there, and terrible suffering for the Yazidi people, and even for the Muslim population, they're the most ones that get killed by Muslim radicals. Once they get killed most, so sometimes we, it's hard to see that far ahead. So that was always the question with Donald Trump. Those of us who voted for him, seeing the good that he could do, which he did, but concerned about the collateral damage that could result. And, and you say, well, what collateral damage? You know, just bad tweets. No, no, it's, it's a bigger thing than that. It's a much bigger thing than that. It's a certain effect that it has on a nation, a certain effect that it has on, on a church. But to be more specific, if now a conservative vote is associated with Donald Trump, in other words, he is now the standard bearer. So, it, it takes the other issues we hold to and, and now ties them in with him and his character. Look, he's already threatened Ron DeSantis. You don't want to run. I've got dirt on you. I mean, you can't do these things, especially if you're in the same party. You can't make it about you. So in 2020, all the bashing of, of, of people in, in, in Georgia 
and bashing of the leadership there. Does that discourage voting? Does it end up losing a Senate seat? I believe that it's directly what happened. That's why the Senate was lost, in my view. And now getting people uh, as candidates that weren't the best candidates because it's a personal thing, and it, right? N- now you end up losing ground you could have taken. Again, I'm not saying Republicans in power is the key to God's kingdom coming. Trust me, if we had all Republicans in every office, it would not bring the kingdom of God to America. And certainly if we had all Democrats in every office, it would not bring the kingdom of God to America. But often we don't see the longer term repercussions. And I know people that could absolutely not vote for a Democrat candidate because of their pro-abortion policies and trans activism and attacks on religious liberties and, and other things like that. But they couldn't vote for Trump either. And they got accused. You're weak. You're spineless. You're this. No, they, they just felt the collateral damage would outdo the good. So that's for others to decide and for historians to decide and for God's people to spiritually discern. But they're bigger issues. It's not just the immediate vote. And it could be that things have to get really bad for the church to fully awaken. And it could be that God's agenda is to get the church to fully awaken because with that, a wave of righteousness can come as well, far greater than a political wave. All right, let's uh, go to the phones and we'll go over to Moxville, North Carolina. Michael, you are on the line of fire. Yeah, how you doing? Doing great, thanks. That's good. Um, yeah, so I agree with the opening sentiment there. I think uh, there were a lot of things, but I think a real hot-button issue and a panic issue for the Democrats was to wave the flag of abortion and promote the fact that this would send women into a point of being second-class citizens again or things like that. So basically they tapped on an emotional issue to eliminate logic and common sense and other points um, with there. And I, again, was hoping for an awakening as well to show up at the polls because we have a lot of absurdity going on in America that feels like it's against God's will there. But I think they hit a real panic button with that and then went out to Trump that calls right there with it and put it to the voters. Yeah. And, and, you know, it is tragic because there, there have been steady pro-life advances in America, but when so much of the nation is still so far away from God, when so much of the nation is actually an active rebellion against God. When so much of the nation has known abortion as a way of life, right? Everyone born the last 50 years, that's just been normal. That's part of life. And, and now something that's fundamental being taken away. Obviously, it was right for the Supreme Court to do what it did. And that's an answer to decades of prayer. But strategically, it does expose where things are at in hearts and minds. You know, for example, if, if the Supreme Court was to overturn the Obergefell decision, which redefined same-sex, redefined marriage in 2015, that would be a righteous thing to do. That was, a, that was a terrible decision and something the court had no right to do. But the American public is absolutely not ready for that. The American public is, is so pro-gay and gay friend, family member, et cetera, just gay media day and night, you know, exposed to all these things, that there would be a massive outcry, even louder in certain ways, than the outcry for abortion. So that's, that's the challenge. We do move forward. We do our best to see righteous laws. We do our best to see godly or God-fearing or, or constitutionally grounded appointees to the courts and things like that. But we understand that our mission remains the same. We've got to change the hearts and lives of people. We've, we've got to see awakening in the church. And as there is awakening in the church, then the world around us can be dramatically and gloriously 
impacted. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call. Listen, you can feel free to differ with me on any point. That's why we have discussion. I was talking to a pastor of a multiracial church yesterday on his podcast, and it's basically evenly divided between blacks, whites, and Hispanics. And when George Floyd was killed, he lost white members that were just so upset, policemen and things like that, about the way all the police were being looked at. He lost black members that said, we just need to be in a, in a, in a black congregation just for solidarity now. And he said, how do you navigate that? And, and I said, one of the things you have to do, in my view, is get people to sit down and have each one say, hey, this is how I see it. This is why I vote this way. This is why I have these priorities as a follower of Jesus. And then listen to one another and then say, okay, what do you need from me now? As a brother, as a sister, what do you need from me? What can I give you in support and solidarity while not compromising my own convictions? It's challenging, but we've somehow got to lead the way. All right, we'll be right back. Words of encouragement when we come back. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. Uh, It looks like, okay, uh, my profound apologies to a guest that is on hold. We had to reschedule things today, and it looks like the notice did not get to my colleague here. So tell you what, uh, as, as we have the opportunity, let's do this. And then in the next segment, I, I will, uh, I will, yeah, not, not quite sure what happened there in our truth studio. We did send out a notice. Okay. Um, all right, let's, let's go ahead and do this. I don't want to miss this opportunity. And, uh, Robert, uh, so sorry. We, we had to reschedule on our end, but apparently the studio missed that notice and got hold of you anyway. So now that you're here, welcome to the broadcast. Yeah, I'm surprised and delighted to be on with you, Michael. I thought we were postponing it, but that's okay. Yeah, oh, okay. So, yeah. A- a- anyway, my apologies for not giving a proper introduction. First, while you're here, uh, could you just share with our listeners for a moment your, your background in terms of uh, your political involvement and the organizations you've worked with over the years? Oh, sure. I'm really a journalist. I was uh, in in newspaper work for 15 years, seven of them as a news editor at the Los Angeles Times. I was a media fellow at the Hoover Institution at Stanford, and I worked for a variety of think tanks after that, from Family Research Council to Concerned Women for America's Cultural uh, Culture and Family Institute, to Media Research Center, and to the American Civil Rights Union. And that's where I really studied elections at the American Civil Rights Union, because the ACRU filed lawsuits in a number of states, forcing them to clean up their voter rolls. So, I, yeah, I didn't know about that specific aspect. I know about the the other things that, that you've done over the years in research. I didn't know about the voter roll part. How, how did you get into that? Oh, yeah, well... well <laughs> We were working alongside Jay Christian Adams, who was on the board of ACRU, and Christian is one of the leading election experts in the country. He used to be a lawyer in the election section at the, or voting section at the Justice Department, uh, when it was still a Justice Department. Um, and he, uh, led the charge in filing 
uh, lawsuits against uh, Philadelphia, uh, opening their voter rolls, and we found amazing things. Uh, people 150 years old had voted in several of the last elections. Mm-hmm. Uh, hundreds of people who were not qualified to vote. Same thing with Broward County, Florida. And Broward is interesting because that's where, along with Palm Beach County, you had the hanging chads and the 2000 presidential election hung in the balance yeah. uh, for several days. They never really cleaned up their voter rolls, uh, but we filed suit and we uncovered uh, massive uh, numbers of bad registrations. And we, we did it in Texas in a number of counties, Mississippi, uh, and uh, Judicial Watch is still doing it. Uh, all over the country, which is a good thing. They're, they're forcing states to clean up. This is by law. They have to clean up according to the National Voter Registration Act uh, that was passed and signed by Bill Clinton. And uh, he got motor voter out of it, uh, but the Republicans at the time got uh, the provisions about cleaning up voter rolls. Interesting. Very interesting history there. Uh, before we, we, we talk about the book you wrote, which is, of course, Interesting conversation the day after midterm elections. Uh, what what's your analysis? And obviously, you could go on for hours. So just the condensed to a couple of minutes as to why the expected red wave did not happen. We've been talking about it before you came on, so you didn't hear what I said. I'm curious to hear what you say. Well, I'll tell you, I'm I'm looking at it, and I've talked to a number of people today, and they're surprised uh, because this is a midterm election. Historically, the party out of power even with a popular president, gains 20 to 30 seats. Yep. Uh, with an unpopular president and a train wreck of an economy and an open border with millions of people coming across, I mean, the, and the COVID lockdowns, I mean, there's so much discontent in this country, it's unbelievable. To not pick up 60 or 70 seats is stunning. Uh, and, and yet here the, the election is still hanging in the balance with a few seats to decide it. Uh, I find that very curious. And I find it as curious as the anomalies that I chronicle in my book, Crooked, uh, What Happened in 2020 and How to Prevent Vote Fraud. Uh, The anomalies uh, were just inexplicable. Trump winning 18 out of 19 bellwether counties in which the winner always wins the presidency. All bellwether states, such as Iowa, North Carolina, Ohio, and Florida. Uh, Republicans increasing voter registration by 12 million. Uh, I mean, on and on, you see... Uh, things that are inexplicable uh, as far as him losing. Well, I feel that way about this election. I'm I'm not about to scream uh, voter fraud uh, because this would have to be investigated, but it sure looks squirrely to me, Michael. So uh, even though the polling is things were getting closer, the polls were saying that the red wave may not happen as expected, or it may be, you know, it could be some saying we uh, Republicans would end up with 51 seats, in the Senate and, and should have, it, you know, it didn't seem to be, there were bigger expectations Then it got kind of toned down. As, as votes actually came in on the closed states, it seemed to be very similar to the polling from my perspective. So wouldn't, wouldn't the polling have to be off as well with your, with your way of thinking? Oh, yeah, the polling's always off. I mean, they were predicting uh, Democrats holding power easily several weeks ago. Uh, then they kind of switched gears over the last couple of weeks uh, and predicted uh, Republicans would um, maybe have a red wave. Uh, some of the pollsters said that. Others said, no, no, it's going to be close. Uh, the polls tend to favor Democrats, and there's a reason for that. Uh, they tend to poll more Democrats than the Republicans. 
A lot of polls have wording that favors Democratic positions. And frankly, in an era in which the Justice Department has been let loose on parents at school board meetings, has not worried about attacks on crisis pregnancy centers, uh, and has a president who has declared half the country semi-fascist, people are reluctant to talk to strangers on the phone and tell them their views. So I think a lot of uh, conservatives and Republicans tend to avoid these polls, and that's why they're usually off. Got it. All right, so... so why now, two years after the fact, with the, the courts having played things out with the elections, with we have to move on one way or another, uh, why write a book now about the elections? What, what does Crooked actually say? Okay, one reason I wrote it is because I got tired of picking up my Washington Post every morning and seeing these attacks on election deniers. And, of course, that term uh, is laid on anyone who has any questions whatsoever about what occurred in 2020. And I have a lot of questions. Uh, and I've gathered a, a massive amount of evidence and documented it uh, in this very, if I do say so, very compact, readable book, putting it all in one place for people. So they know what happened and they can try to prevent it the next time around. The end of the book is how to prevent vote fraud. All the ways uh, election laws can be tightened from getting rid of early voting, or at least tightening it, getting rid of uh, mail-in ballots sent to uh, addresses that didn't request them, having unmanned ballot drop boxes, uh, same-day registration, I mean, and also having photo ID. That's the most common, most effective deterrent uh, to voter fraud, and yet uh, Democrats went around the country loosening election laws, and they blame COVID for it. They said, well... You know, because of COVID, we don't want people standing in line, so we have to mail out millions of ballots. And by the way, we don't we don't want them standing in line and even inserting them. Uh, so let's have all these unmanned ballot boxes. I mean, they they did all sorts of things, loosening things up. Some of the Republican-led states tightened election laws. <laughs> Governor DeSantis in Florida, they went out of their way to really tighten up voter registration. Did it affect turnout? Not a bit. Uh, they had high turnout. Same in Georgia, uh, and the Democrats were charging voter suppression. There's no voter suppression. They just had fair election in uh, Florida. And, of course, DeSantis cruised to a 20-point victory. And I wonder if around the country, whether the uh, reforms that Florida had put in place had been in place everywhere else, we wouldn't have had that red tsunami we were expecting. All right, so so here's here's the question for... Someone from your perspective, as I've interacted with you over the years, you've always been a, a level-headed guy. For people that don't know you, you really are a journalist, and you, you dig and you research and so on. But if people say, look, what do you know that uh, you're saying court after court after court after court, they could have looked at things, just turned the other way, or they, you know, many of them with, with Republican-appointed justices and things like that, since this has gone before the courts, how could it be that with all this, all these potential court cases, the the election stood and, and was certified. Well, what do you know that the courts didn't know? How, I'm sure this is something you run into every day. How do you respond to that? Oh, easily. A lot of the courts didn't even look at the evidence. They just tossed out the cases on technicalities. Look at the U.S. Supreme Court. Uh, before the election, <clears throat> when states illegally changed their voting rules through election offices, through judges, uh, and and constitutionally, especially in Pennsylvania, 
you're not allowed to change the election law unless it's done by the legislation, or by legislation, by legislators. They did it anyway. So Texas and 17 other states filed a claim before the Supreme Court saying, you've got to look at this because if this is allowed to stand, you've got basically unconstitutional elections in many states, and this will dilute our votes. So the Supreme Court looked at it and said, mm, not our jurisdiction. And I'm thinking, excuse me? Uh, they're there to settle disputes between the states. That's what the Title Three, uh, uh, well, the Title Three courts on up to the U.S. Supreme Court do. But it, it's the U.S. Supreme Court that is the ultimate place to do it. And they ducked it. And I, I happen to think they were intimidated. And I feel a lot of these courts were intimidated. They didn't want to be the one court where the media would come down on them and say, look, uh, they're favoring Trump. They're uh, they're upholding his charges of vote fraud, and you know when when you have a guy like Chuck Schumer standing outside the U.S. Supreme Court and threatening them, and and telling them that uh, they won't know what hit them, uh, that's pretty intimidating. Yeah, understood. You'll reap the whirlwind. Got it. Yep. All right. So, uh, is is your book available in public, or does someone have to go somewhere in secret? And uh, is it being suppressed? <laughs> is it out? Is it out there? Okay. Well, it isn't really out there in bookstores. You can get it at djkm.org/crooked. That stands for D. James Kennedy Ministries, which published the book. That's djkm.org/crooked. And and knight is spelled like the knight in shining armor with a K. Uh, the yep. book is called Crooked. Hey. Uh, sorry that we had to reschedule, but we got you in. It worked out. We didn't have to reschedule. Hey, God bless you, Robert. May truth triumph. May truth triumph. Yeah. And I Thanks like so your much. columns. I read them, Michael. I appreciate <laughs> it. Thanks a lot. Okay. All right, friends. We'll be right back. And I'm going to share that article I wrote with you. I've been promising it. I'm going to share it next. It's The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get on The Line of Fire by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. All right. Thanks for joining us on The Line of Fire. One more reminder, we do have seats left on our Israel trip, but it's getting closer. It's barely six months out, less than six months out now. We're just about. So go to the website, askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Just scroll down. On the homepage, you'll see some slides passing by. You'll find the Israel information there. Okay, you can read this on the website at AskDrBrown.org. If you have the Brown Ministries app, you just look on the latest article, and I want to share this with you. I, I got up early this morning. I had this on my heart last night, but I got up early this morning and really felt stirred to, to write this before I went back to sleep to catch like another hour before time to teach here at, at Christ for the Nations in Dallas. So... It's, it's entitled, The Red Wave That Really Matters. Here's what I wrote. For a number of reasons, I would have preferred to see the Republicans take back both the House and the Senate in fairly decisive ways. This would have effectively thwarted the implementation of what I believe to be a very destructive leftist agenda. And I voted accordingly in my own state. But I am not in the least bit discouraged or downcast since the red wave I'm really looking for is a spiritual one, not a political one. As I tweeted on October 20th, I have voted Republican for many years, 
But my vision for a red America is for a nation washed in the blood of Jesus. As followers of Jesus living in America, our calling remains the same regardless of who runs the government. We're called to be disciples and make disciples, to know God and to make God known. And we remain a remnant called to be holy and set apart in the midst of an evil world. In the words of John, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. First John five nineteen, we are called to let our light shine brightly, thereby exposing darkness and pointing people to God. We are called to be the salt of the earth, functioning as the moral conscience of the state and as a preservative element in the society. We are called to love God and love our neighbors. We are called to acts of kindness and compassion, to feed the poor and to set the captive free. We are called to rescue those headed for slaughter and to advocate for the widow and the orphan. We are called to exalt Jesus in word and deed and preach him as Savior and Lord. We are called to pursue holiness in our own lives and to declare the holiness of God to the world. We are called to build strong families and have a multi-generational impact. This is some of our mission and calling. If we can change the laws too, that's wonderful. Many will benefit from that in the long run. If we can shift the culture, that's glorious. The more the light shines, the more the darkness is dispelled. If we can elect God-fearing political leaders, that's something to shout about. In the words of Proverbs, when the righteous increase, the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, the people groan. Proverbs 29.2. But let's remember that generations of believers, beginning with the very first disciples, lived and died with slavery and infanticide and other barbarous practices as a way of life, the cultural norm. It took centuries before these evil things were abolished or went out of practice. Yet the gospel continued to march on. It's the same today here in America. The lost will still be saved today through the message of the cross. The sick will still be healed today and the oppressed will still be delivered. Prayers will still be answered today and God's people will still worship. As I tweeted on November 5th, 2018, right before the midterm elections four years ago, Regardless of a blue wave or a red wave tomorrow, God is still God. The Bible is still his word. And we are called to be disciples and make disciples, period. As I tweeted a little past midnight during yesterday's elections, regardless of the outcome of the elections, my hope remains where it has always been in one place only, our unshakable God and his kingdom. What about the gospel-based moral and cultural revolution that I've spoken about for more than 20 years? Do I still feel confident that it's coming? Do I still believe it is already here in incipient form? Of course I do, since it has never been based on political outcomes. As I wrote earlier this year, you've probably heard the saying that politics is downstream from culture. I agree, but I would add that culture is downstream from morality, which in turn is downstream from spirituality. That's why my own emphasis is spiritual first, then moral, then cultural, then political. The church must be transformed first, burning brightly with the fire of God, ablaze with holy love for a lost world. Then, as more and more lives are transformed and more and more disciples are made and believers make an impact in every area of life and society, we will see the righteous outcomes that we long for. And by righteous outcomes, I don't primarily mean our favorite politicians being put in office. I mean righteous laws and a more God-fearing culture 
which of course will require God-fearing political leaders. But we must also realize that evil will not be fully eradicated until Jesus returns. So we do our best before God to make a difference in our generation while we eagerly await the second coming, never forgetting our calling to take the gospel to all nations. One thing, though, is sure, and I write this as a registered independent who has only voted for Republican candidates for decades and as someone who is deeply concerned about the Democratic agenda. America will not be saved and transformed by having an all red, meaning all Republican government. America will be saved by being washed in the blood of Jesus. That is the red wave I am praying for. So friends, that's where my emphasis is. That's where my life energies are spent. And, and let me talk to all the parents listening. Where's the battle you're fighting? Right there in the home. The, the, the influences that are out to destroy your kids and shape them in a way that is very contrary to what you know is best for them and contrary to your values and contrary to God's standards. So yes, we get involved. If you're able to pull your kids out of a wrong school system, homeschool them, even then there's the influx of social media. What are they getting through that? If you could send them to a good Christian school, or if you've got a good public school district, or if public school is your only choice economically and for other reasons, then you've got to get involved in the school system if you can. And, and it could be that one of your ends are running for school board. But either way, either way, the big battle is right there in your home. It is e- even in the best case scenario, even if the schools were neutral on cultural issues, right? And, and just taught the, you know, Basic things, the three R's, it's the three R's of our ministry, Revolver, Revolution, Redemption, but the, the three R's of right, reading, writing, and arithmetic. <clears throat> if, if the schools just did that and were neutral on these other issues, didn't have radical sex ed curricula, and, and, and weren't leaning totally radical LGBTQ or Reconstructionist history or whatever the thing is, still there's going to be the battle from the world. There's going to be temptation of sin. There's going to be peer pressure. There's going to be all that stuff. The battle's right there in the home. It's, it's not in the courts. It's in the home. Yeah, the courts make a difference. And the school curricula, that makes a difference. And who's in office makes a difference. But, but ultimately, revival often happens in the worst situations. Revival often happens when, when things are at their, their darkest. And, and as I've shared many times about the great awakenings in American history and the great moves of God, they, they came in the midst of darkness. They came in the midst of backsliding. You know, historian, revival historian James Edwin Orr, if you can watch some of his YouTube lectures, just go to go to, to YouTube and search for J. Edwin Orr or James Edwin Orr, revival. And you see some of his lectures. He just gets up. He's a scholar, tells these stories, mind boggling. But he talked about after the Revolutionary War, there was a time of, of spiritual backsliding in America. So you had Christian colleges in the late 1700s where you could not find a single professing Christian on the campus. You have like 300 students and not a one of them is a professing Christian. And this is at a university founded to be for the glory of God. A university where when it was founded to get in, just anyone to get in had to know the Bible well and had to be living a Christian life just to get into a secular school because it was so Christ-centered. And that's that was the culture. And there was another school where basically all the students had signed on to the Foul Language Club, one of our Christian colleges. And, and the Christian students that met there, the handful of them met secretly 
and kept their their journals as they would uh, as they would journal the meetings that they had. They kept them in code. They wrote them in code lest they be found out. This was in America in the late 1700s. And Chief Justice John Marshall said that the church has fallen too far to ever be recovered. And then what happened? Decades of the Second Great Awakening. This is what tamed the Wild West. This is what transformed so much of the culture. And on and on it has gone through history. The 1857-1858 prayer revival comes at a time of rising atheism, rising sexual immorality, rising, rising witchcraft and other, other crises in the nation. This prayer revival comes, what happens years later? The shaking that this brings and the rise of righteousness ultimately leads to the abolition of slavery. I mean, there's, there's a connection between these things. So, yeah, it's, it's a miserably dark time and a time worse than anything in my lifetime. But this is the world. It's, it's, it's just a little worse, or, but it's the world. America's never been a righteous nation. There's no nation on the planet that's ever been a righteous nation, you know, for any period of time. So it, we're, we're all fallen. There's corruption. There's hypocrisy. There's sin. There's blatant rebellion against God. And while politics is very important and voting is very important and involvement is very important, a thousand times more important is cultivating revival in our own hearts. A thousand times more important is our personal repentance from sin in our own lives. A thousand times more important is our recovering our first love and then with that loving our neighbor as ourself and being involved in acts of compassion and service in our community. A thousand times more important is sharing the gospel with the lost. And look, here's the deal. We're only passing through this world. All we're doing is holding back forces of evil. We're passing through this world and extending the kingdom. It's eternity where we'll see all the fruit. So don't be discouraged. Let's go about doing the work of the gospel. And for me, it's not us and them, Republicans and Democrats. It's us and them, those who are saved and those who are lost. That's where we have to live. Another program powered by the Truth Network.